You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, holy cow, holy cow, do we have a lot to get to. Big report from The Athletic from Jared Weiss, who spent a lot of time in Indiana. First of all, shout out to Jared Weiss for coming to Indiana and talking to tons of Pacers players, execs, and coaches about this team to get this report done. Titled, As Pacers Consider Shakeup, Miles Turner Seeks Bigger Role with More Opportunity. Got to talk about Turner's comments, where he views himself, where he views his future, and how it fits into what's going on with this Pacers team. And on the same day, the Pacers have to cancel practice because of abundance of precaution for health and safety protocols. We later learn that Rick Carlisle has tested positive for COVID-19. He might miss their game tonight against the Dallas Mavericks. And Nick Angstad from Lockdown Mavs will join us to talk about a few things. One, Carlisle testing positive for COVID. Two, how Rick Carlisle handled the last rebuild that happened in Dallas and how that could be applied to what's going on in Indiana right now. And three, we have to preview this game tonight. The Pacers play a game against the Mavericks tonight, despite everything going on. It's a crazy, crazy week for the Indiana Pacers. Let's start with the biggest story of the day, though. Courtesy of, again, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Wonderful job by Jared on this reporting. That Miles Turner is seeking a bigger role or a bigger opportunity or something. Without reading the piece, I understand how one could interpret that as Miles Turner wants to be traded, is very excited about being traded, if you read the piece, it doesn't necessarily read exactly like that. Yes, he would be welcome to a trade that would get him somewhere with a bigger opportunity. But this is all about Turner's role as a player in the NBA. If you've read this piece, it's very, very good from Jared Rice. Let's talk about some of the quotes that Turner said. The first one, what is actually happening with Turner? What happened? That what What is he thinking that has him in this position? Here's what he said, end quote. It's clear that I am not valued as anything more than a glorified role player here, and I want something more, more opportunity. I'm trying really hard to make the role that I'm given here work and find a way to maximize it. I've been trying to the past two, three seasons, but it's clear to me that just numbers-wise, I'm not valued as more than a rotational player, and I hold myself in a higher regard than that. So Turner, for years and years, has seen his – I understand why he thinks this way. For years and years, he's seen his usage fall. For years and years, the Pacers have gone a little more towards giving Sabonis the ball or running through their guards a little more, whatever. He's at 16.8% usage this year, his second lowest of his career, only second to – Last year, of course, when he also had a low usage. So I understand his thinking in that regard and winning a big role. He said later in the piece, quote, when you show little tidbits and tastes of how you can play, you see the potential in that. I hate that in year seven, you're labeled as a finished product. And I want to show that I'm not a finished product. I'm just scratching the surface. I want to show that I'm ready to take the next step. The potential I've shown this season, I think I'm ready to turn that into a more intricate and prominent role on a nightly basis. So those quotes totally understand why and this could even be what Turner's thinking, that could lead to Turner on another team. That 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 will be the takeaway that is is thought of for many people. And I understand that. Uh, it sounds like if Turner was traded somewhere where he'd have a bigger role, that'd be a welcome a welcome thing for him. But this also suggests he he, he loves Indiana. He's talked about that publicly and privately, uh, that he actually really loves Indiana, but he really wants a bigger role here even. Uh, and his usage has continued to drop. He's never really seized an opportunity to get a bigger role, though. We're in year seven of the Miles Turner experience, and I understand why he wants a bigger role this year, especially having more flashes, clearly having added more skills, the one hand little shot in the paint, better off the dribble than any year of his career. Those kind of things merit more possessions. We even saw him do a lot with his possessions against the Knicks literally two nights ago, right? He's doing that. On the other hand, again, we're in the seventh year of Miles Turner's career. 
He had an opportunity after the PG trade to kind of seize control of this team. We've seen him go through stretches where he looks like he could be taking control and then kind of wiggles back to the player we always see him to be. So I'm not saying you are what you are. He is right. Players grow and evolve and get better all the time. Victor Oladipo was exactly the age Miles Turner is now when he had his big explosion in Indiana and became a full new player. In fact, I think Miles is right. I think he can be more than he is here. 16% usage is extremely low. There is a little bit of element in my head of you are what you are, but I'm not saying that to say Turner's wrong. I'm saying that to say I don't know necessarily what the exact perfect role for him is, whether that's here or somewhere else, but he views that he deserves a bigger role, and I understand why he feels that way. I understand why he feels like he sacrificed so much in his career, not playing his natural position, playing with a guy who doesn't necessarily perfectly complement his skills, right? Always being the guy to sacrifice. Two years ago in this article, right, he's talked about this. Two years ago, he had that summer where they told him to work on his post game, he gets to camp, and then they tell him to work on defense, and he shoots a bunch of threes all season, right? That was a big sacrifice season for him. So a very strange career he's had with the Pacers. I understand why he's frustrated. I understand why he would want change. But it's also there's a point where you got to think maybe he is what he is. Maybe he's not. He's only 25. That is still a young age for a guy in his seventh year. I'm sympathetic to both sides of this argument. I don't really know where I lean. But because I'm kind of in the middle, I understand both sides of the coin of, yes, if he wants a bigger role, he should try to pursue it. He's at a stage of his career where he can he can think that way. He has that kind of power on a Pacers team that is thinking about a rebuild, right? Perhaps this is a factor in them considering these things, as Turner saying to the team that he would be interested in that. And in the article, Weiss reports that in a meeting over Turner's role this week, according to sources, Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff emphasized to Turner that they feel he is having his best offensive season from an efficiency standpoint, but will try to give him more actions as a roller to get him the ball in the move more, right? So the Pacers are acknowledging that Turner is playing better and they would like to get him more involved. But we just saw that against the Knicks. He had a nice game against the Wizards on Monday. Clearly some sort of focus on you are improving. We want to get you the ball. So the team feels similar to what I just spoke of. Yes, he's playing better, right? He clearly has improved, I think, since Bjorkren took over as the coach. That was his most confident season with the team. And he, But it, there's also a limit of you are what you are. We have all these other players that we have to give the ball to. And because this is a team that is really strong with balance, is really strong with sharing the ball. It's going to be hard for any one player to have some sort of dominant role or a big change in usage. That means someone else who is talented with the ball is going to have it less, and that's not necessarily the perfect thing for the Pacers. So there are ways, like last game, they played extremely well against the Knicks, and I, I lauded them uh, on the post-game podcast from yesterday, if you want to listen to that, for their balance in that game. They did an excellent, excellent job sharing the ball, getting it to the right guy, getting open shots. Turner took 13, and that was the highest on the team, right? And none of them were bad. They were good looks. If that can be the role for him every night and he can score like that every game, yes, he should have a bigger usage with this Pacers team. He was excellent in that game. Uh, but if he can or if there's nights where he's not as good like we've seen throughout his whole career, it's going to be tougher for them to give him a bigger role. It's a tough balance to strike. I understand the Pacers being in the position they're in. I understand Turner wanting what he wants. And th th this article goes on to talk about how, you know, in the context of this Pacers rebuild, right? That they had this meeting, you know, this has been talked about by players and coaches and reported everywhere, that Rick and Kevin met with Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Karis Silver, and Malcolm Brogdon. That's Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle. Um, and in this, Pritchard says on the record, we just talked about the article and how we were trying to be super transparent with the players. If they ever want to ask me anything, they can ask me anything. When we get close to making a trade, we don't just try to bop a guy over the head with, oh, by the way, you're traded. We will give them a heads up. We've done that multiple times. So it would appear that that meeting had something to do with, hey, we're considering shaking things up. And as that runs in tandem with Turner thinking, hey, I want a bigger role, it obviously makes you think that they're considering shaking up the bigs and stuff like that. But also in the same piece, we get stuff from Pritchard talking about how 
he would like to see this team through for this season, right? I, that That's a, a an important part of this as well. He doesn't necessarily view in-season trades as some huge way to change um, change the team and make them immediately more effective. Uh, I'm trying to find that quote, and I'm having a little bit of trouble finding it. I will, I will, I will get to it eventually. But this is a, just a fascinating pivot from Turner, um, and I it's totally understandable why he's there. And what change in his head is a big part of this too because he's never been a guy to, to – put this out there and be in this position, uh, especially on the record. Uh, but he said what changed his mindset. He said in this piece, quote, I've settled for being just a floor spacer who runs up and down and sits in the corner all game and isn't active because I thought I was doing what was best at the time. I wasn't looking out for myself and was looking out for the team, but I realized that looking out for myself is in turn looking out for the team. So I flipped my mindset going forward. And I understand the interpretation of that where he says, I thought I was doing what was best for the team, but now, and if you just stop there, you'd think he's saying, I want to do what's best for me. And I don't think that's necessarily true because if you look at some of the data and you look at like, like obviously the Knicks game being very recent means that I'm going to be propping myself this argument up with a very recent game that is perhaps not the best representation of what Turner is. But when he gets more involved, they do well, right? So in his head, he's probably thinking, hey, when I have the ball more, or when I'm more involved in the offense, I've added these off-the-dribble skills. I'm shooting over 40% from three. I have a post move now. You said I was going to be a role man in the offseason, and I'm not. Make this happen. When I'm involved, good things happen. And I think he's in his right to say that, given how he's played offensively this year. But I also get the Pacers going and, and looking at his whole career with his opportunities to take a bigger role, with his opportunities to be a more effective offensive player, and saying, well, we're not sure that that's the best thing for this team at this time. And then you reach an impasse where you are where they are now, where they have to Think about how they get him more involved, like they did against the Knicks. The first play of the game was that play where he came around to screen on the block and caught the ball for a three behind the perimeter. And I don't know if I've seen him involved in that action ever before. And it was the first play of the game, right? So they're clearly already looking to find a way to, to get him more involved in that way. Um, but it, it was very interesting to see all that. I found it uh, in the article reported by Jared. It says, Pritchard told the players that while they are fielding plenty of calls for Sabonis and Turner in particular, the organization still believes in their pairing and wants to see it through this season, according to multiple sources in the room. He and Carlisle told the players they still believe they can turn the season around. And they do not want to go into a full rebuild at this juncture, but they have to say that if they want to hold the team together at 11 and 16, can they afford to keep seeing if this can work? Well said by Jared, I think, and... I 100% agree with a lot of that. Like it, it, Those two together this season, the numbers are really good. The Pacers have been playing very well with both bigs on the court. I understand that the team wanting to see it through. I understand them thinking we're a few bad bounces and close games away from being much better. I understand that. And Turner has been better this year, and I understand him wanting a bigger role and why they're conceding a little bit to him in the last game and this week in general. But at the same time, the Pacers have to be careful to not concede too much that it ends up hurting them or if Turner stops playing as well as he has the last couple games – you know what? What happens then? How does that? How does that change things? So I think I think everyone's kind of right in this situation, which makes it an awkward solution in the future. Because I think Turner is right to think he deserves a bigger role, given how his whole career has gone. I think the Pacers are right to say we don't think you necessarily deserve a bigger role. Maybe a smaller, big, like a small jump in usage, but not a huge bigger role. And so and when you reach that point, especially for a team that is considering a rebuild, taking calls on these guys. It, there's no great solution, right? If, if they pump him up a ton with with minutes and shots and roll, all of a sudden other guys who maybe they're looking to trade or maybe are a big part of the Pacers saving this season won't be having the ball as much. And if they don't concede to him, uh, you know, obviously he's going on the record with these quotes, he will want to trade even more. That becomes more of a distraction and issue. So the Pacers will have to find a balance going forward to 
appe- uh, not appeasing. That sounds like they're you know groveling at his feet and doing everything he wants, but making sure he is happy in his role because he does like Indiana, right? He does like a lot of the players on this team, but I understand why he is frustrated with the role. They have to make sure that Miles Turner is, you know, okay with what's going on with him. They have to consider what their other options are, right? His contract only has one and a half more years on it, and they have to consider how it looks in the in the scheme of a potential retooling around their younger guys and Duarte and Brogdon's going to be around and presumably the other big, whichever one they don't do, will be around. They have to consider how every step of this process will impact that sort of retooling. It's unclear how that looks now, and I think when we get more clarifying comments from Turner in the coming days, we'll know a little more. But as of right now, this is a tough situation to truly get a read on what comes next because it makes sense that everyone thinks that they're right in this situation and they have good points to say that they're correct. The question is, what breaks first? Uh, do they keep going to Turner like this and they keep winning? And then, laddie do everything's great. We keep pushing on if you're the Pacers. Or uh, do they keep going to Turner and then they start to lose a little bit? Or do they not keep going to Turner and then there's some frustration? There's a lot of paths that could happen, and that's why this story will be kind of constantly developing, especially as it plays into the context of whatever retooling and rebuilding they can do, which if you want more on that, go back to Wednesday's podcast, talked all about why the Pacers would do it, why this is all coming out now, when the key dates are in this process, who the key players are. And that's a big step for this team going forward. So that is the news of the day. Shout out to Jared Weiss from The Athletic for incredible reporting. Very nice guy. I had a pleasure meeting him while he was in town for a few days. Let's pivot to the other big news of the day. Rick Carlisle has tested positive for COVID-19. The Pacers play a game tonight. Unclear at this time if Carlisle will be able to coach in that game, although I would say it's pretty unlikely. And to do that, let's bring in the host of Locked On Mavericks who covered Rick Carlisle the entire time he's been covering NBA basketball. Nick Angstad, he's going to come join us for the last two segments where we talk about Carlisle, how Carlisle handled the rebuild in Dallas when they went from the Dirk era to the Luka era, how Carlisle will will do in this game, and how this game will go, right? How Pacers Mavs will go. So lots to talk to you about Rick Carlisle and the Mavs. But first, let's take a short little break and talk about the good folks over at Truebill because you know why free trials are without your consent? Because it is a business scam that is out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. It's the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it super simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. They have over 2 million users and have helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today. Why not make Locked On Mavs your second listen today where Nick Angstad is with me today, the the host of Locked On Mavericks. And today was going to be a Mavericks preview day. Obviously, the Miles story deserved the lead, but this this has turned into quite a bit when I wanted to talk about the Mavs because what I wanted to talk about with Nick beyond just Pacers Mavs tonight is how did Rick Carlisle kind of handle the Mavs going through a rebuild in the post-Dirk Prime era, pre-Luka era where... They won 33 games one year, 24 the next before Luka came in. And can he kind of replicate those emotions and feelings again and guide the Pacers into whatever their next era is? We know the Pacers probably won't bottom out to that extent, but maybe they will. But before we get to that, there's bigger Rick Carlisle news. Rick Carlisle has COVID. He has tested positive. He is in health and safety protocols, unlikely to coach against Dallas. So first of all, Nick, what was your reaction to hearing that the former coach of the Dallas Mavericks is in the health and safety protocols for the Indiana Pacers? 
Well, now that we're, I mean, we're in this era, right? This COVID era. And so it seems like every time this happens, the first thought is, okay, well, I hope he's okay. Hope everything's fine. You hope the health is good. You know, he's, he's getting, he's like in his sixties at this point. So you just hope that everything is, is good on that front. And that's where you start first. And then you go, man, that's a bummer. I, I was really looking forward to Luca, Rick Carlisle. Just, I wanted one or two moments where Luca just looked at the bench and yelled something at Rick and, you know, he hit a shot and he was right in front of Rick or something like that. We got a good photo after the game of you know, something in game of something between Rick and, and Luca or just something like that. Jason Kidd and Rick Carlisle meeting, you know, and then, the, you know, at, at half court or something like that. I was looking forward to it. And now it seems like that won't happen, but you know, report like this is all reportedly. We'll see what happens with you know LeBron came back real quick after a positive test. So who knows with some of this stuff? It's like I I don't ever believe any of these things. Like okay, maybe he has COVID. Maybe he's just a false positive. It's it's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, I you never really know. I don't want to assume either way. Uh, that said, I think he had not the the quick test. He had the PCR test that he tested positive for, which is more the more accurate of the two. Uh, he has another one that he'll get results for Friday, and I, maybe if that one's negative and he's asymptomatic, he can coach. I think all the phrasing has been unlikely, but yeah. uh, not impossible. I would not expect him personally to coach against Dallas. Lloyd Pierce will step in in, in his uh, stead while he's out. And I will say first and foremost, like you said, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully this is an isolated thing. Obviously, Justin Holiday is out with COVID as well. He should return after this Mavs game. Uh, Holiday has not been around the team. I do not imagine there's any sort of relationship between those two things. So. Yeah, no Rick is a bummer already against his old team where the storyline would have been there. Obviously a huge bummer as well. Now he can make his return against Dallas in Dallas, which will be fun for you guys still at least. So oh, hopefully Rick Carlisle is, is okay, and this is an isolated case that clears pretty quickly. Per reporting, Lloyd Pierce will fill in in his stead, which is a, a nice second option to have. Former head coach of the Hawks has experience with Philly and Atlanta, and I forget his stop before Philly, unfortunately. I but. don't know. Did you see the Hawks last time he coached? I'm not sure <laughs> if that's a. I'm not sure that's a good one to replace. You know, I I agree that his stint with the Hawks did not end how <laughs> he would have liked, or the Hawks would have liked. That said, it's better than an assistant who's never coached a game before. I suppose. Fair, um, very fair. <laughs> and he's been leading the Pacers' defense this year, and they are 12th, 11th in defense now. So he, the side of the ball he's been working on is going well. Uh, so we'll see how he can seep his ideals into the offense. What kind of changes? This game ends up with, because of that, speediest recovery to Rick uh, in the next couple days. But the reason I wanted to talk to Nick Angstad about Rick Carlisle was the Mavs, uh, mid, late late 2010s, I think, is the most accurate time to describe this. Dirk was no longer amazing. They were clearly pivoting. They, they brought in other guys to try to be Hold good. Hold on. First of all, first of all, there is no there is at no point that Dirk was no longer amazing. Just, just I want to just, just make this very clear as we go into this. <laughs> okay. Dirk was no longer a championship caliber player. How about that? Still um, could hit a shot for a championship team. Ma- Mavs brought in like Wesley Matthews, Harrison Barnes kind of guys to try to keep that era going as long as possible. They made the playoffs in 16-17. And then the wheels not fell off, but they slowed down and the team got a little worse. And, you know, 17-18 was fun for me because I got to watch Yogi Ferrell. Or 16-17, excuse me, was fun for me because I got to watch Yogi Ferrell ball out. Ball out. For the Mavs, but they were not very good that year. They only won 24 games before drafting Luka. And a lot of the talk about the Pacers in this, whatever they're going to do process, rebuild, retool, whatever, has been you don't hire Carlisle and then immediately rebuild. He's not a rebuild coach or a long-term rebuild coach. So he kind of went through in with Dallas, but they got out of it pretty quickly. What do you remember about Rick and how he handled it, how he coached, how he interacted with players, how he dealt with a team that was not as good during that time frame? 
Yeah, he, he got out of that rebuild really quick. I mean, the Mavericks, they had been, you know, a decent team for a while, like you said, and then all of a sudden they, the wheels kind of fell off, and then, like, almost two years later, Luka drops in their lap almost. They go up and they trade for him. But the way that Rick Carlisle kind of handled that was surprising to me. It was surprisingly well how he handled the, you know, the losing, the the Mavs not being good enough. Uh, and the Mavericks probably should have lost more games than they did during that time because there's every once in a while Rick would just draw something up and throw something up where they would win a game that they shouldn't have, right? And you're just you're just saying, how did Rick come up with this? How did Rick like he just he really that was just a coaching win basically is what the Mavericks got on certain nights. You bring up the Yogi Ferrell year. That year just seems so fake to me. I just I think back <laughs> to it and I the things that I remember were okay when Yogi Ferrell was brought into the Mavericks. He had been on the, the Nets G League team and they hadn't come up with the two-way spots yet. And so the Nets couldn't just keep him on their roster in a two-way spot. They really kind of just wanted to keep him, but they didn't want to give him a roster spot. The Mavericks decided to come in and give him a roster spot. And then uh, Larry Kuhn told me, that the CBA FAQ guy, that like the, the cap master, told me that the, the NBA like had Yogi Ferrell in mind when they came up with those two-way spots. It's like essentially what they are. And so um, Yogi Ferrell comes in and the Mavericks had zero point guards, like literally zero point guards. Darren Williams was their starter that year, I believe. And just everybody else was hurt, injured, something. And they literally had no other options. And Yogi Ferrell came in on a Sunday, and then he started on like a Tuesday. It was like that quick of a turnaround for the Mavericks, which was so weird to have Rick Carlisle start a rookie like that um, on his team. And so Rick Carlisle is, is hard on rookies, which is why this Chris Duarte thing has been so interesting on the Pacers side that he has been able to start them. But he will start a rookie and play rookies rotation minutes if he thinks they're worthy. And that's usually a good sign. The only rookies that you know Rick ever started that he had the choice to besides like Yogi or somebody else like that was Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic. Those are the only kind of young you know rookie type players that he has played. And those guys have turned out to be the only good Mavs draft picks over the last like 10 years or so or something like that. So Rick Carlisle is going to uh, continue to coach and to coach to win, but he had, he was really patient in those, in those Mavericks years. And it was interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how he's going to do with another rebuild. Uh, and you would think that the Pacers had, had like run this by him before they decided to put out like, Hey, we're ready to rebuild. We're ready to do this. And um, it's also interesting to note. I don't know if we can guess what Rick Carlisle thinks about stuff like this, because he literally left this situation for the Mavericks and it was his choice. Like he, he may have thought he was on the way out and it was on the, he was on the hot seat or something like that, but he left this situation with the Mavs and with Luca. Like he decided on his own accord to go to that Indiana Pacers situation, which is, you know, for all, you know, all the, send all the love to Indiana and all that, all that kind of stuff. I went to games growing up all the time, but um, is not as good of a situation as he had in Dallas with Luca. And so, he left that on his own accord. And so Rick Carlisle may not be the, well, you can't do the rebuild around me because I'm this coach, blah, blah, blah. He may have just wanted to live in a different place and to be in a different place. And he may be just, just fine with this rebuild. Certainly possible. Certainly possible. I think when you give a guy four for 29 as a coach, you kind of signal what your intentions are with him as your leader. And and that contract he just got. and Or you I, have to pay him. Or you have to or you have to pay him because you're like, hey, we may go into a rebuild soon. Let's give you some extra in order to, to keep you around. Um, but like that's kind of why I've been calling it a retool instead of a rebuild, if that makes any sense. And now that the smiles thing is out, you know, we kind of understand why the Pacers are thinking this way. We learned what they talked about in their team meeting with leadership. And something you brought up 
that I always talk about with Rick Carlisle is that he you know, got those teams to win more games than they should because whenever I was gassing up Rick right after the Pacers hired him, I always look at the 14-15 season where the Mavs started Monte and Chandler Parsons and Rondo and Tamir Nelson insane. and won 50 games. They won 50 games with that team. It's Even in retrospect, that's wild. That team starting starting Tyson Chandler, Dirk Nowitzki, Chandler Parsons, Monte Ellis, and Jameer Nelson, like up until the Rondo trade, had the best offensive rating in NBA history at that point. It's yeah, insane. That, like that is that, just that's wild. That's Rick's whole resume when he applies for jobs. Right. Yeah. It's that, just and then the, that lineup. Yeah. I think it was the 2014 or 2000. Yeah, 2014 San Antonio series. That first round series where San Antonio was the best seat, best team in the league, and Rick took him to seven games. I'll, I'll say Rick and not Dirk. I'll literally just say Rick took him to seven games. There's a really good SB Nation article of that whole series and how it's maybe the best coach series in NBA history. It is excellent. Um, so that that era was strange to me, looking back on who the Mavs had on their teams in the 16-17 era, because they had like some younger, inexperienced guys, but the the only one that was really like someone they drafted or someone they were really interested in developing. Really, there were two actually: Dorian Finney-Smith, who they still have, and Justin Anderson, yep. who is actually in the Pacers organization uh, with the Fort Wayne Madens before they got Luca. So at least those two guys uh, got some development, but they had a lot of vets on those teams, right? It's really like. There's not a lot of guys that I look at that were clear development projects that Rick was f- tasked with developing that didn't pan out. Like Salah Mejri, maybe, but everyone else on the team <laughs> was a vet or was someone that wasn't supposed to play very much. So it seems like he just played with the pieces he had, tried to rebuild the team, and the front office obviously ends up making the trade for Luca. But you know that that when I look at it from a development context, because Chris Duarte's name's been floated in these rumors as well, it's like. Yep. Did that go well for the Mavs? And it, it looks like it went not great necessarily, but not bad either. Um, that doesn't give me confidence or uh, I don't know what the other word I should – opposite of confidence. But um, <laughs> it, it does make me think that it is possible for him to, maybe not for a long time, but for a short period of time, go through another process like this. Yeah, if you're starting to look at development, that was one of the big – criticisms of Rick Carlisle that he never played rookies. He didn't play young players. He, he would always lean on the vets too hard and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. If you start to look at some players, the Mavericks drafted or the Mavericks picked up, Rick has been way better with these undrafted players that come in these JJ Barea's, these Maxi Kleba's, these Dorian Finney Smith's like guys like that. The, the, even the solid measures of the world um, that came in and Rick has been way better playing those guys and playing guys that'll work for their minutes. Those are all like really hardworking players that'll go out there and and try really hard and give their effort. Um, he he attaches himself to some players though. He'll find a player that all of a sudden is all right. That's his guy. Like Dwight Powell is his guy, and now all of a sudden Dwight Powell is like starting a bunch of games, and Rick has somehow turned Dwight Powell into a you know a forty million dollar center. And you say, how did he how did he turn that guy into that? But those are some of the developmental wins for Rick Carlisle and the organization, um, those guys. And then there'll be guys that come in and, and they're just not ready and they, they can't play. And they, you know, they sit the bench and Mavs fans are screaming. Why can't Josh Green get any time? Why can't, you know, Tyrell Terry see any time on the floor? Why can't, um, you know, some of these young players see any time? It's just a, it's, it's an interesting thing with Rick. It's, he, I think he learns pretty early if the player is going to be good and worth his time or if they're not. It took him 20 games to turn the undrafted Keelan Martin into someone he wants to play literally every game, right? Like He's already done that with the Pacers once. Martin already substantially better than he was for all of last season with the Pacers. So 
that is already showing. They don't. Isaiah Jackson got hurt, so he hasn't been with the team long enough. I would say he's the rookie that's not playing, but they can't even play their their first round big they drafted three years ago. So I'm not even going to blame Rick for the log jam <laughs> at the center position minutes. But Isaiah Jackson has not been playing. Let's talk about this game that is going to happen tonight because despite everything going on with the Pacers, they still have to play games somehow. Uh, it's been crazy how good they've been playing this week despite everything going on off the court. So let's talk about that. But Nick, before we do that, let's talk about the good folks over at Built Bar, who, of course, are making Ooh. the best-tasting protein bars ever. What is your favorite flavor of Built Bar? Ooh, in your hand, what one is that? What do we got? On our show, every once in a while, I'll do some ASMR. I'll Built Bar. <laughs> it's a protein bar. It tastes like a candy bar. Coconut brownie chunk is my absolute favorite. I have one right here in my hand, if you can hear it, uh, if you're seeing it on YouTube, on the Lockdown Pacers YouTube channel. Coconut brownie chunk, the best one. It's a delicious bar. It's got real brownie chunks in it, and it's a bar that's pretty good for you. I do love peanut butter brownie. But you'll have a hard time choosing your favorite flavors. There's a ton of good ones. They have new holiday-themed ones coming out right now, and they can give you the extra burst you need to bust down the mall doors this holiday season and battle through holiday shoppers. Because it's the season of peace and love, don't bring up your favorite Bilt Bar flavor at family parties. Instead, just bring them. Hand them out. Tell people how good they are. Try them out yourself. You can cozy up with something warm for a holiday secret. Dip your Bilt Bar into a piping hot cup of hot cocoa. Let it melt a little. Try it. It's delicious, I promise. Go to Bilt.com. Try these 100% covered in chocolate delicious protein bars. Use the promo code LOCKED15 when you check out. You'll get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Let's also talk about BetOnline.ag, who has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. No Colts this week, but their march to the playoffs is coming up big time. You need to win three games probably to make it the rest of the season. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Nick, the Mavs are 500. The Mavs are 500. If it weren't for the Pacers and the Blazers, the Mavs might be the team in the disappointment spotlight to start the season. So you're welcome for the time where you get to talk about a team that has had a worse start than the Dallas Mavericks this season. They have a new coach. <laughs> they have some injuries, right? There are reasons the Mavs are 500 that make sense. Also, Luka Doncic reporting to training camp at a weight that is is much higher than I would have ever expected Luka Doncic to report to training camp at. I don't care about that, though. I'm not here to talk about that. As you look at this Mavs team this season, they have one of the best 10 players in the league. They are fifth in the league in three-point makes per game. They are still a solid team. Why are they 12-12? and 12? What has held the Mavs back from being a team that took a step forward after being the five seed last year? It's all because of Jason Kidd. No, I'm just, <laughs> what if I just came in here and just like start guns blazing? Just, just came in hot like that. The Mavericks have had so many random issues, right? There's just so many different things. You mentioned it, the, the, the injuries. Luca has missed, you know, four games. The, uh, you know, Porzingis has missed, what now, uh, seven games Porzingis has missed. Brunson has missed some time. Maxi Kleba is one that really hurts the Mavericks. He's their best defensive big by far. He's missed a bunch of time. Just everybody has seemed to just miss games, and none of those Luca, Porzingis, and uh, Brunson games overlapped except for one for Luca and KP. So that none of those games that they missed overlapped. And so there's just been a bunch of different injury things. There's been weird stuff. But the biggest thing is the Mavericks just can't hit threes. This Mavericks team 
has all these guys they brought in. They brought in, you know, Sterling Brown who shot 40% from three last year. Reggie Bullock, who's been a 40% three-point shooter for years, back with the Knicks, the Lakers, the Pistons even going back back that far. And Dorian Finney-Smith had been a good three-point shooter. Tim Hardaway had become a good three-point shooter with the Mavericks. Maxi had been. Porzingis has always been a solid three-point shooter. And and then Luca, who had become a 35% three-point shooter, and his, his temps had been better last season. All those guys were just slumping at the beginning of the year. Dorian is the only one really that has rounded back into form. Maxi has been been pretty decent as well, but he's missed games. And so everybody else just slumping. Tim Hardaway Jr. right now, he's at uh, 33% on seven attempts per game. You have Reggie Bullock, who finally hit more than one three in a game. He hadn't done that pretty much all year and hit a bunch of them the other night. But this, this team is just missing wide open threes. It's the weirdest thing. It's hard to explain. Mark Cuban went on Twitter and tried to explain it by saying the ball is different. And that's the reason why the Mavericks aren't shooting well from three. Um, there's all kinds of different reasons. But I think that's been the biggest thing. If you look at the Mavs and say, why is, why is this Mavs team not good? They've been the best offensive team the last two years. It's because of the three-point shooting. Uh, plus all the stuff you mentioned about Luka coming in overweight and not looking as good. Um, getting frustrated with the refs, like all the little things with Luca. Uh, but then you look up and Luca has 25, 8, and 8. So <laughs> you're like, well, how much is it really his problem? It, it's it's little things like that. Yeah, I have. Obviously, I'm not the Mavs expert you are. I have watched the Mavs a few times, and I will start my criticisms of the Mavs and end them at Tim Hardaway Jr. That's a little harsh. They've had more problems than that. But you know how many times Tim Hardaway Jr. has shot over 40% since November 15th? Oh, my gosh. This is like one the answer is one that's <laughs> yeah. correct one time and i know their problems run deeper than him but they paid him a bunch of money this offseason to be this third option guy he was good in the playoffs last year like clearly fits with what they were doing last year as a talented player talented scorer talented shooter yeah he he's missing everything he shot over 40 percent once that was their dominant win in new orleans all the rest of these games have not been so hot even his 29 point game he shot poorly and just got a bunch of free throws up right so he he has not been good enough to be their their third guy. And they have another a bunch of other really useful and helpful players that fit well around Luka, right? That They were, again, one of the best offenses ever last year. But this year, they I feel like they need a lot more from him to be more dynamic and create more. I and mean, they already create a lot of open shots. Luka's got that gravity. But to just even be more dynamic. That's where I feel. I don't know how used in on that. But him being this poor, after, especially after signing a big deal, has been a big, big hurdle for this Mavs team. 100%. You, you, where you're right is the Mavericks' problem with their roster and roster construction and all that stuff. The Mavericks fans have been frustrated with Cuban and make us get us a better team, and they've been so frustrated with them recently. It all comes down to that number two, number three uh, offensive like hierarchy on the roster, right? They need a, a, a bona fide number two. Some nights Porzingis can be that. Some nights he's not. Some nights, like, once every four nights, Tim Hardaway can be that. This season, that has not been the case. And so they need somebody to fill in that role, to be the number two, or to be a really good number three when and Porzingis be a little bit more consistent. But for now, what the Mavericks roster is, what it looks like right now, Tim Hardaway Jr. has to be that guy. There are nights when Porzingis just doesn't you know, pull his weight, and Tim Hardaway Jr. has to step in and take 20 shots a game or something like that, or 18 shots or something like that. And he's not fitting the bill right now. And so I think you're completely right in seeing that, but it's the roster construction. It's Tim Hardaway Jr. miscast. He's, he's paid a little bit too much for his role and it should be, uh, he should be farther down the pecking order. He should be a, you know, microwave off the bench score basically is what Tim Hardaway Jr. should be, or a, you know, a starter that can play with Luca and, and, you know, grease the wheels a little bit with his shooting, but, 
Instead, he's miscast as this guy that needs to – he has to score or else the Mavericks just can't win some nights. So what kind of matchups have the Mavs struggled with this season? Because on the Mavs side, they're one of the teams that starts two bigs, like, kind of like the Pacers and Porzingis and Powell. But because Porzingis can stretch out a lot, like Sabonis could not guard him last year. I think he had like 33 or 34 in Indiana last year without Luka. The Mavs won that game, yeah. right? Turner so didn't play kind of, that game. Did you say that? Luka did not play that game. Yeah. No, Turner didn't play that game. That was. Oh, that was, maybe that's what it is. I think so, that was he, yeah, he, he tore him up. Um, that's a matchup that I think favors the Mavs. On the flip side, what what kind of players have the Mavs struggled with, and do the Pacers have any of those guys on their team? The Mavericks, the teams the Mavericks have struggled with, it's anybody with an above 500 record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anybody, that's, anybody that's good, basically. The Mavericks have struggled. Um, yeah, they've just struggled with any team like that. And they've, I mean, even recently they've struggled with teams that aren't, <laughs> that aren't above 500. But uh, teams that can, teams that can hit shots, teams that can take it to, take it in, in, the, in the paint, basically, right? Teams that can attack, teams that can take it to the basket because um, when they start Porzingis and Powell, their rim protection has not been good. Uh, and then anybody that can just take advantage of of uh, of some mismatches. You have Luca, who's not necessarily a mismatch, but if you can speed by Luca, there's not a lot of communication where the you know the Mavericks will be there with help defense. And so anybody that can get into the paint, get into the teeth of the defense. If Brogdon starts you know getting some floaters going, if all of a sudden he gets into the teeth of the defense, gets past Bullock or Dorian or whoever guards him, then all of a sudden then you've got a problem there for the Mavs. Brogdon's been figuring out his distributing a little more this two-game win streak the Pacers are on. By the way, if they beat the Mavs, it'll be their first three-game win streak of the season, which is really not pathetic for a team that had weird timing for that. Yeah, they this team has had the weirdest season ever. Because you mentioned like the Mavs struggle with good teams, and the if you look and go, oh, the Pacers are eleven and sixteen, they're not a good team. They're eleventh. They're eleventh in net rating. Eleventh. They're top. 12 in offense and defensive rating. It makes no sense that they're 11 and 16, but they lose every close game they play. Let me give you a tip for the Mavs. They just need it to be a close game and they'll win for sure. <laughs> the I was looking on cleaning the glass the other day. The Pacers have the the low the lowest win differential in the NBA by far, right? Like it's it's yeah. minus. It's like the difference between the games that the stats tell you they should win and shouldn't. It's like minus 4.7 and the next lowest is San Antonio at minus 2.6. Like, like literally, they're just the most unlucky team so far. They can't or the least clutch. Game. Yeah, it, you know, clutch is always talked about as this luck thing, but like, there's a point where when it happens eight times in twenty two yeah, games, gotta go, be. yeah, that's not a luck thing. You know, like something obviously is going wrong in these situations. So that's the key for the Mavs to me uh, is that keep it what close. Is, look, look, I know Luca came in overweight, but you talked about he puts up twenty five eight in every game. Can anything slow him down? What what can the Pacers do to potentially have a chance against him? Yeah, it's these guys like the the Mikhail Bridges of the world. The you know those long wing defenders that can stick with him foot speed wise, which a lot of people can't right now <laughs> with his foot speed. But uh, it's those guys that can stick with him like that. And then if you have a good uh, a good like big that can defend the paint, like Miles Turner, hopefully that can hopefully for the Pacers, not for the Mavs, but <laughs> they can defend the paint after that. And then guys that'll stick on shooters and force Luca to just throw up a bunch of shots because right now he's not getting the type of separation with you know, with defenders to be able to, to take the advantage of that. Um, his legs have been, have been bad late in games with shots. He's hit a couple of threes late recently where you're starting to feel like that's getting better for him. But uh, anything late Luca throws up just seems to be short, seems to be off. That's the kind of thing that, that he did, that he struggles with. Uh, what he doesn't struggle with is anybody small, anybody small. He's taken, he's taken right to the basket and he's going to get to the rim and he's going to uh, create a lot of problems. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see who they throw on him and if they uh, have any success. 
I will guess, is a guess, that it will either be Brogdon or Duarte at the start of the game. And Torrey Craig will get more minutes than he has because he is the kind of guy you mentioned who could have the size to at least deter him for a little bit. But Duarte might be too small even. I don't know if they have a great answer to, for this. Luca loves to having a rookie on him. Loves when he's <laughs> like, oh, rookie? Like uh, Herb Jones was the guy for the Pelicans that's been like a really good defender so far this season. And um, the first game that they played, Luca just like took it to him and made it look so easy. And Jake Madison, lockdown Pelicans host, reached out to me and said, "I'm really surprised how easy Luca made it look because Herb Jones has been a really good defender." And then, yeah, Luca just took that real personal. He's like, "Don't put a rookie on me." It's almost like that Larry Bird thing. We're like, "Don't put that guy on me." <laughs> Zoom out, Nick. Who wins? Zoom out. Oh, I hope the Mavs. It's just been a, such a weird season for the for this Mavericks team, but it really depends on if they hit their threes or not. It really just comes down to that. So I, I'll say, I'll say the Mavericks will like they'll they'll trudge through the game a little bit. They'll miss a bunch of threes, and then late the Mavericks will win because uh, Luca will close it out. Are you telling me if the Mavericks make shots and score points, they will win, and if they don't make shots and don't score points, they will lose? Tony, they keep scoring these games. Like the more, <laughs> like more points at the end ends up being. The, the Wait, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! The Pacers need to figure that out because the the score part's been unkind to them. I would, I would uh, pick the Mavs in a zoomed out scenario matchup wise. Pacers have never had answers for Luca. He ripped them up last year. Ripped them up when they played last year. So that's a dangerous matchup for them. That said, my expectations for the Pacers right now are shrug. I mean, they haven't won more than two games in a row all season, and they are currently on a two-game winning streak. Usually this is the game where they lose some sort of mental focus. They have a million distractions going on off the court right now. They won't have their head coach. So picking anything based on what's happened this season is stupid. I have no idea what this team's going to look like. I have no idea how they're going to play. The other Thanks team for listening Luka. to Lockdown Pacers. <laughs> yeah, the other team has Luca. Uh, I feel comfortable picking the Mavs, but but not for any good reason other than I just have no idea what to expect. That's the tagline of a great podcast. I have no idea what's happening to this team. I don't know what what they're going to do on any given night. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Pacers. You know, I know that's that that's bad. I'm supposed to be the local expert for this team here, but it, yikes! I mean, it, I'm doing the same thing every place. night. Everybody, every night the Mavericks miss like a bunch of three. The other night they had the third worst three point shooting performance of all time, and I just go. What am I like? What am I supposed wow. to do with that? What am I supposed to take away from that? They just they gotta make them. <laughs> That's it. Like it just comes down to that. Gotta make them. We'll see what happens. If you haven't already, check out Locked On Mavs for more coverage on this Dallas team. And uh, they do post game pods on the weekends because Nick Gangstead and Isaac Harris like to grind it out. So if you want to hear their We're thoughts insane. on this game. They will be there tomorrow. Nick, you got any parting words you'd like to share with Lockdown Pacers listeners? We'll be there. Hopefully, Miles Turner will be a Dallas Maverick, but we'll see. And uh, <laughs> if I was a betting man, I would bet that Dwight Powell would head his way to Indiana because that's Rick's favorite. <laughs> Dallas native, I'm sure that that will be a team brought up in many a rumor uh, in a month or two whenever this stuff really gets heated up. No one can really be traded for five more days, so well, there's still a little bit of time before this stuff gets crazy, but I appreciate that. <clears throat> Nick is on Twitter at Nick Van Exit. If you're on YouTube, you can see it. I am so bad at pointing like inverse when I can <laughs> see myself. I always point the wrong way first. This podcast is on Twitter at Locked On Pacers and me at T East NBA. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check out Locked On Mavs and Locked On Bets if you want to hear your boy Q and Lee Sterling break down the best and latest in the gambling world. We will see you next weekend to cover what happened with the Pacers this weekend and the latest news surrounding the team. 